like to start with a little bit of your background and um, history and how you came to this point, and then we'll move into those questions if that if that's okay. Sure. Okay. So uh, um, January started my 35th year in appraising. Wow. Um, yeah, I've been out here doing this for a while. Sacramento, Placer, El Dorado, Nevada, some of Yolo County um, for the past 35 years. I've probably seen the worst house in each of those areas and the best house in each of those areas at some point uh -huh. along the line, right? Uh -huh. um, I started out with a little company down in, in, in Sacramento. I was there for a couple of years and then um, I started bringing in more business and they, they had offered to offer me. So I kind of took my clients with me and left and I opened up my own office in uh, 1988 or 89. And that morphed into a pretty big uh, office. Uh, I think I was in the business journal twice as the largest and fastest growing appraisal office in California. And uh, we, we, we had a, a great business. We had clients across the nation. Um, I had a lot of appraisers working for me, a bunch of full-time support staff. And then in 2009, at the onset of HVCC, my phones quit ringing. They basically took my clients away with a stroke of a pen. And so um, I decided that I wasn't going to do this anymore. And I laid everybody off and I had a little commercial building on Douglas Boulevard and I sold it and I was going to reinvent myself. And I found myself sitting there going, what am I going to do? Because all my buddies are still working. I can only play so much golf. So I went to work for, uh, I got a call from a friend of mine. Uh, he was an HR director for Vitech Mortgage, if you've heard of them. And uh, I went to work for them. I was planning on being there six months and setting up their appraisal panel. I was there eight and a half years. Uh, wonderful people. I just loved it there. They were just terrific people to work with and for. Um, the writing was kind of on the wall for my position. So I ended up leaving. And I reopened up my own office, and it's just me now. I work out of my home office. I don't have any payroll. I don't have any staff. I don't have any other appraisers. And uh, I just, in 2018, just made the decision that uh, I would go back and get my uh, SRA designation from the Appraisal Institute. So I went and obtained that, and I started working more towards working with uh, financial planners, um, attorneys. Um, I, I found my way onto the VA panel. It's not an easy panel to get onto. And so my focus today is uh, kind of semi-retired. I don't do that as much work as, you know, I don't want to work too hard. I like to get out get a round or two of golfing if I can. And I work for some attorneys and I work for the Veterans Administration and, and that's it. You know, I don't work for HUD and I don't work for um, the Fannie and Freddie. No conventional work. Once in a while, I have a friend that's a lender. I might, I might do something for her. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that's awesome to be able to, like, I feel like society really pressures you to, you know, work hard, play hard, nose to the grindstone 24-7, like double, triple caffeinate, and to be able to <laughs> realize that I'm loving that style right now, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but to, to be able to say like, you know what, like my priorities are this sort of work-life balance. Like you want to prioritize getting some golf in. I want to prioritize getting a line dancing session in or two um, a week. And it's kind of hard to take your foot off the gas pedal like that without feeling guilty. So um, that's that's an awesome transition to be able to make and like really find what works for you to make all of that happen. Um, so I have some some fun questions for you, um, things that I get asked pretty often. Um, I'm curious, since I've been under this impression the whole time that I can't even talk to an appraiser, um, so I haven't. <laughs> um, what, what are an appraiser's biggest pet peeves? They go out to check out a property and um, I basically want to know how do we keep the appraisers happy? <laughs> ah, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's tough duty. Uh -huh. um, yeah. Um, we're, you know, most appraisers are kind of sheltered. You know, they like to, um, you know, like to hide under the rock, if you will. You know, they go out, they do their thing, they come back, 
they write the reports up and there's not a lot of communication outside their business uh, in, in, within the lending slash real estate environment. I'm kind of an anomaly to that. I don't mind getting out and talking to people. I like getting in front of people and letting them know what's going on. Um, I think if you wanted to back up and say, you know, what's, what's the pet peeve? Um, my biggest pet peeve is let me do my job. So if I'm at someone's house, uh, I have a very certain way that I do things. If I get out of that routine, chances are pretty strong I'm going to miss something or forget something. Then I got to make a phone call and say, hey, I, I didn't see this. What's, what's going on here? Or what's in that back corner of that room? I, I didn't look through that door. You know, so it, when an appraiser comes on site, um, let them do their job, go through the house and take their pictures and make their notes. And then at the end of when they're done, generally they'll have a couple of questions for uh, the homeowner or the realtor if they're there. Um, and then let them know things that have been done to the home. And most of it they see, but it still doesn't hurt to tell them. You know, we put in new kitchen counters. We put in new vinyl plank flooring. We put the roof on four years ago. Uh, we updated the bath six months ago. But hold on to those thoughts until they're done doing their thing, if you will. They're done measuring the house, going through the house, because they can't look at what they're looking at and talk to you too and not miss something. So that's one of my biggest pet peeves. Um, an another is uh, sometimes I'm a, I'm a dog lover. I, I'm a, a dog guy. I am. And, but when people have dogs that appear slightly aggressive, it's just best to put them away and not let them come out. Um, about a year and a half ago, I was at a property up in um, Nevada City and they let their dogs out and they came out and just jumped onto my car and scratched the heck out of it. So they got to buy a paint job for the side of my car. Yeah. I'm so out. hold the dogs back, um, you know, put them in a kennel, put them where the appraiser doesn't need to go, if you will, lock them on a deck or something. Or what I can only say is bring the dogs in. I'm going to do the outside. And when I knock on the door, you can let the dogs out and I'll do the inside. And that seems to work pretty good. Yeah. So those are probably my two biggest pet peeves, if I had any. Yeah. Sometimes it's not something you think of until it happens, right? I know that realtors and homeowners are probably really excited to talk to you the second that you get there. But now we know, okay, hold your questions till the end, hold the extra information yeah. till the end and i'm an introvert so i'm definitely that person that like if i'm out doing something where i'm mingling with people i need to have my routine and i need it to be in a certain order or else i'm totally thrown off track and it's hard to recover um sort of thing but yes the dogs is definitely like one that i didn't even think of i was thinking like pick up the garbage um, oh. let the, like, <laughs> you know, honestly we don't care we, uh -huh. we don't care i mean first impressions everything right even uh -huh. your appraiser, first impressions, everything. But um, I've been doing this so long. Maybe a, maybe a newer appraiser might that might bother them. I don't know. It never has me. But um, I look past your stuff. Your if if I'm at a house, I don't view their personal belongings at all. I'm looking mm -hmm. at the um, quality of construction, the overall condition of the property, the functional floor plan, of, the functionality of the floor plan, the features, amenities, design, appeal, view, those types of things, the terrain or you know slope of the lot, the usability of the lot. I'm not really concerned with, you know, th th their personal stuff at all. Uh, if there's bags of uh, recyclables, I, I don't care. You know, if there's if there's trash or dirty dishes, I don't care. I, it doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't have any impact on what I do. What about landscaping? Like, is it worth them taking a lawnmower and uh, mowing the lawn, trimming the bushes, or not so much that either? Yeah, I don't really, don't really, no, not so much. It, look, again, first impressions, everything, right? You walk up mm -hmm. to a, a well-manicured house, 
first impression is, oh, this place looks like it's well taken care of. You walk up to a house and, and the grass is, you know, six inches tall and there's weeds poking through and they're going to go, okay, what's the inside look like? Mm -hmm. Right. You start to question. Yeah. Um, so can it, does it hurt? No. Does it help? Yeah, probably not. Not in terms of the value anyway. No. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what would you say are three pro tips for someone that is preparing for an appraisal to get the best value out of their home? For, um, well, for like a VA loan or conventional loan, they're all kind of a little bit different, FHA. Mm -hmm. So like if you, let's say it's an FHA, okay. you, you would want to make sure that if you had any exposed wood, for instance, that it's painted or stained. If you have any earth to wood contact against your house, you would want to make sure that you pulled that away before I got there because I'm going to make you do it. Uh-huh. The requirement. So I'm going to tell you to do it. So anything that's exposed in terms of wood, it has to be covered for an FHA. Uh, I'm going to test your range and your air conditioning, your heater, more your heater than your AC. But um, you're, I'm going to flush your toilets and open and slide your windows and turn on your water faucets. If you've got a sink under one of your, a leak under one of your sinks, then um, we're going to call that out. So you might want to make sure that all of those things are done prior to me getting there, because that's a requirement of FHA that we run through and check all of those things. Yeah. If you've got uh, shingles missing on your roof, you may want to get up and replace them or have a, a contractor come out and replace them before I get there. If you accept a, if, if somebody accepts an FHA appraisal, it has to qualify under their guidelines and their minimum property requirements. And so the reason for that is, is, you know, HUD caught on a long time ago that if somebody moves into a house and there's all these repairs to be done, leaking faucets, leaking drains, roof repair, siding repair, dry rot repair, chances are they're going to make those repairs and not make their payment. So to keep that from happening, they want all that done up front by the seller. Mm -hmm. Or, or, or even if it's a refinance, you're going from conventional to FHA. It just doesn't happen that often, but it does happen. We're still going to look for those things for an FHA. So you may want to get those things tidied up. Yeah. And is the FHA the most stringent of the appraisals or is the VA I think, kind of back and forth? I think they're both pretty strict. Mm -hmm. They both have their minimum property requirements that they, they want. And all of those, with what I just mentioned, fall in line with VA as well. Um, I, I've had a few VA assignments that may not have been to the level that I would like them to be, but they pass. They're close enough. Yeah. So um, it's a good idea on any of either, either of those to make sure your property is in, shows in pretty good shape and you don't have any dry rot. You don't have any missing shingles on your roof and you don't have any leaks in your sinks and all four burners on the stove work and those types of things. The garbage disposal works because I'm going to call those out if they're not. And then you get to pay me to come back out and see that they're fixed, okay. which is kind of silly. And no one ever regrets like having those things fixed. So a couple of things in my experience, like, oh, they had to replace this wood rot or they had like whatever. And they're like, oh, we've been putting it off for years, but now we have to get it done for this refinance to go through. And then they're always so thankful that they finally took care of that issue on their home. And like, it looks so much better or works so much better. Um, and then another thing is people always assume that their paint job is fine. And they say, there's no peeling paint on my house. And then the appraiser gets there and there's all of this peeling paint. I ran a house painting company um, for a couple of years. And so my advice would be walk around your house and look at the sides. Like there's always a side or two that has way more sun exposure than the other sides. And just verify that the paint job is done. I've had to do a couple rescue paint jobs to get homes to pass FHA appraisals because the homeowner thought that the paint was fine. The appraiser goes out there. It's missing a ton of paint. And then, and then they don't pass their appraisal. So uh, I, think I think that's good upfront advice on your part. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. 
Um, the, the, the big issue is the decomposing of the wood and then paint chips, right? So if it was, if the house was uh, built, I think it's 1978, June 15th, 78 or before, um, there was lead-based paint. Mm -hmm. And what happens is you, if you go scrape that lead-based paint and it falls to the ground, they actually have a bigger issue now because kids don't think, right? Kids are just, oh, hey, what's that? And then, you know, how many cases have there been where kids have died from eating the lead-based paint? Yeah. You have to pick it up as well. Mm -hmm. You scrape it off, put a tarp down or pick it up because we'll look for mm -hmm. that too. Yeah, yeah. It's, a health, it's a health and safety issue. For sure. Yeah, yeah. running the painting company for any houses built before that era, um, you had to have like a HEPA vacuum cleaner, like make sure all the chips were vacuumed up. You had to, you couldn't scrape or sand um, or you couldn't sand the paint because you didn't want to risk getting it into the air. Um, so yes, it's definitely a big deal. It's a lot more work on the contractor side too. Um, and you have to wear all the protective gear, like the goggles, nothing like painting in 108 degree weather and a full body <laughs> suit, goggles, gloves with the duct tape and a mask. Sounds like a joy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, maybe I shouldn't market in these areas. Let's go to some newer buildings <laughs> over here. Um, okay. So this might be similar to an earlier question, but what are the three or a couple of the biggest no-nos, um, when meeting with your appraiser, things that realtors or homeowners should not do? Um, there aren't really too many, you know, again, going back to just let them do their job type of thing is, 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 is key. You know, don't park your Suburban right in front of the house. So I can't get a picture of it. You know, that's one. Um, I've had that happen. They pull up in their yeah. big and park it right in front. Like it a, sounds very specific. It sounds like that one fly just stuck with you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get a picture. Uh -huh. Um, what, um, so one thing that um, you know, this is this part of my peeve with the AMCs is, you know, we can't know on a refinance what the loan amount is, right? We're not supposed to know. Okay. And that's part of the distance of not allowing the appraiser to talk to the loan officer is they're afraid the loan officer is going to tell us how much they're trying to borrow, right? But that's where it gets kind of silly because I would say 98% of the time, if I was doing a refinance on a conventional loan or, or an FHA, um, the homeowner would tell me, hey, we're trying to get uh, our value to 540. So I'm not really sure what the protection is. I think it's all felt sense of security myself. But on a sale, we know what the price is because we have to have a copy of the contract. So if you go out to a house, and let's say you're, you're, you're a realtor for purposes of conversation, and you bring me data. It says, hey, here's, here's what I looked at. Here's how I priced the home. Uh, I showed this one, this one, and this one to my clients. They didn't buy them for this reason, that reason, and that reason. That's all good. You can do that all day long. There's nothing wrong with that. That's information. It's data. It tells me a little bit about the other houses because I don't see every house. So I don't see all the comparables. Um, but if you come out and you say, hey, look, there's really um, five good comparables and here they are. And I expect to see all five of those on the appraisal. Now we have a problem because you're directing me on what to do. Stay so in your lane. So as an appraiser, what I would do is if I felt that that was really forced upon me, um, I would probably go back and decline the assignment and let you start over. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want to be influenced. I want to just do my job. I want to really find that bullseye target value for that house. And then it is what it is. Um, we, don't, we don't make the market. Appraisers don't make the market. We simply report it. And these dollars that were... You know, that's, that, this is the really part of what we do that people don't understand is, you know, I, I spend somebody's million dollars every day. 
I do two $500,000 homes. I'm spending somebody's million dollars. And these people, this, it isn't monopoly money. It's real dollars. And I'm the one who's telling the investor, you can cut that check. Mm-hmm. And that's why the risk is so high in what we do. Um, because if we're wrong, then, and it goes south and it becomes a non-performing loan, meaning they are not paying their mortgage. One of the first things they look at is the appraisal. It's probably the number one thing they look at. Then they look at the underwriting to see if they calculated income correctly and things like that. But they're going to look to make sure the appraiser did their job correctly and, and that they weren't influenced in any way at that, at that value. So the whole thing's kind of silly and nonsensical. But if you hand an appraiser data, like I, I did a, a condominium for this gal down off of, of uh, Howe Avenue. And she told me flat out, I better not have any problems with this appraisal. Just, I better, I better not. Threat? <laughs> yeah. I said, I mean, I, my first thought was, wow, DRE would like to hear that. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? Um, but uh, I ended up not having any trouble. And it ended up being fine. But I just felt like the, the comment was not necessarily needed. Mm-hmm. I let it roll off my shoulders and went on with doing what I do. But um, y- y- probably not wise to say things like that. Yeah. And I guess it also depends on your appraiser too, because you seem like relatively laid back and like you would, you just kind of rolled with that one, but not everyone would do that. And that's just time and money on the borrower side um, to take that sort of risk and make comments like that. <laughs> I, I would imagine there's some appraisers that would probably not finish the assignment. They would probably uh-huh. just leave. Yeah. Like that, been, it sounds a little pressured. offensive or threatening, huh? Yeah, a little aggressive. Um, I have had agents tell me, you know, um, there's not a lot to go off of. And these, these are the best comparables. I could price this against the sellers price the home, what they thought they should get for it. And we got six offers. Um, then it becomes kind of a rub where you got to look at, okay, what's the market saying? And, you know, if you have six offers, then there's someone's going against the grain of what the market's in, but they, people found that house for some reason, that neighborhood worth that kind of money. And I, I will give, I will give weight to a contract in an appraisal. If, mm-hmm. if it's a five hundred thousand dollars sale price, for instance, and my highest sales are, and, and my adjusted comparables are coming out at you know four ninety two, four ninety three, I'll probably push it to the five because I've got enough data showing there's enough demand for that five hundred thousand. Um, because there's weight in contracts. There's personal knowledge on behalf of each agent, a seller, a buyer. And I'm one person coming in the middle of all of those. What makes me so correct, right? That's kind of my feeling is these people have an idea of, they know they farm their area. They work their area. They have an idea of what this house is against the other homes in the neighborhood in terms of uh, quality, construction, remodeling, features, amenities, et cetera, where I'm looking up just some photos. So I will always give weight to a contract, always. And I think any appraiser that's not doing that is is doing everybody a bit of a disservice. Yeah. Yeah. I've been noticing that on some of my purchase loans. um, I'm like, oh, you know, it came in at right exactly the amount, like $500,088. And it came out at five or yeah. And it came at at $500,100. I was like, hmm, that's, that's pretty specific, but I must've been for that similar reason, huh? Um, Probably. I'm not that good. I'm I'm just not that good. (laughs) I'd probably go, you know, 500,000, 500 bucks just to make myself feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what is something if like there's veterans that are out shopping and they're looking at all these homes, like, is there some things that they should like look out for when viewing these properties to save them time and headache? Like that are just, you know, it's a no-go for a VA loan or, you know, it's a big headache for a VA loan. 
Uh, definitely. And, and that does happen. It, I get out there and I can't believe they ordered a, a VA on this house. There's just no way it's going to fly. So if it's in, if it's in, um, you know, uh, not such good quality of construction, lower end quality construction and not cared for, not properly maintained, it's, it's in deferred condition um, to where, you know, you're risking a hundred percent financing here on a VA potentially, not always, but potentially. So if it is in, excessive deferred condition. And what I mean that is every house has some deferred somewhere, unless it's you know under five years old and even they can, but yeah. um, that would probably not be a house that you would wanna put a veteran into mm-hmm. because for the same reasons we were talking with FHA, you know, they'll start repairing the house and not make the mortgage. And so you have to be careful. And then we're gonna, we're gonna call it out upfront um, where these things need to be repaired uh, I did a house in um, just outside of uh, Lake of the Pines up Highway 49 out of Auburn and I uh, walked into the house and you could immediately feel that the floor was sloped. So I took a door and I opened it and it closed. And I didn't have a marble to put on the floor and let it roll, but you could feel it as you walked through that it, the foundation had given. And it was a VA and the siding was bad and there was infestation. Uh, you could tell that either rodents or skunks or raccoons or something was living under the house. It had outdoor plumbing. Uh, the roof, um, it was metal, but it was, you could tell it was extremely old, rusted in some spots. And they, they tried to put a veteran into that house. And I get it because of where the price point was, but yeah. in terms of the product itself did not qualify for VA. And I called for an engineer's report and I called for a roof inspection. And I called for a full pest inspection. And of course, once you do that, it goes sideways. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so no sure. fixer, no fixer upper homes for... Uh, VA purchases. <laughs> I don't want to put our vets. We don't want to put our vets in that position. We need to be taking care of them for one. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it just didn't qualify under minimum property requirements for a veteran. But if if but I see it where agents will do that. They have a client, and that's what the price they fit into. So let's try and get this one done and see what happens. Maybe the sellers will fix it. Maybe the sellers will get an engineer's report for the foundation. Maybe they will clear the the infestation. You don't know, right? Until you go. So, but those are things that I would. I would caution against it on, on a, a VA loan. You know, we, we look at VAs a little bit harder because a lot of them are 100% financing. So we don't want to put our veterans in a bad position. And, and I, ha- I have done many appraisal where they didn't meet purchase price for a veteran. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not because I felt it was too high, because it was too high. It was yeah. clearly too high. And it's a lot of like out-of-pocket expense. Even if there was a lot of repairs that for some reason they were still able to purchase um, using the VA loan, but then like not only did they just take on that massive mortgage payment, now they would have to go out of pocket just to to make those repairs, and that's a lot of added stress on top of moving into the property and getting accustomed to that new mortgage. And um, it, it's not helpful. <laughs> no, it's not no, helpful for them. It, yeah. no, it's, it's counterproductive. Actually, mm-hmm. it's very counterproductive, and uh, I think that they knew it going in that those things were going to be called out by me, but I think they were willing to take the chance to see if the sellers would, would fix it. The sellers should fix it, whether it's VA, FHA, conventional, those are things that should be uh, fixed to make the house marketable. It's yeah. crazy how many are just going as is, they don't want to fix anything. Like it's well, like, have you seen the paint on some of these houses? <laughs> I can't unsee it now, now that I've like been in the industry, I'm like, that house needs paint, that house needs paint, that house, like I can't, enjoy a walk through the neighborhood anymore without notice. I've had agents tell me when I get to the house, so oh, this sale is as is. Uh-huh. And, and well, I, that's wonderful. 
but the, but the person that has the gold that's investing in this house and providing a loan, mm -hmm. they don't want to invest in a house with that condition. Yeah. So I need to tell them, and if you don't want to fix it, that's up to you. But uh, I need to let the investor know that this is going on. Yeah. Um, our job, our job really is, it's, it's quite simple. Uh, we, we protect the investor and we protect the buyer and we actually protect the seller as well. You know, there's times when they houses are sold too cheap, you know, with the other side of the coin where they're just sold too cheap and the seller's getting ripped off because someone doesn't know their market area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so our jobs are to do that, to make sure, you know, if they're selling a house for 400,000 and it's worth 800,000, they might want to know that. Now they may not get a copy of the report as the seller, but yeah. it would be someone's fiduciary obligation to let them know they're selling your house at half price. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, we kind of, that's, that's really what we're there for is, is to protect make sure that the two parties that are bringing the parties together are doing their job correctly and we're protecting the investor. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. And one last thing that I wanted to cover with you was um, some of these upcoming uh, policy changes that realtors should be aware of. It's something that you talked about at the um, the PCAR meeting um, a couple weeks ago uh, about the sloped properties or anything else that you want to talk about that we should be keeping our eyes and ears out for. Well, that, you know, that has to do with the, the measuring of the house and, and the ANSI method of standardized measuring. And so what it basically says is that if any, and that's the key word, any portion of the property, a level of the property is below grade, then that has to be valued as separately from the area that's above grade. Now, we've always had that, but not necessarily on say a slope lot where you have kind of a walkout basement and the house backs to earthen, right? So you have a house, it's on a hill and the floor, bottom floor goes something like this, right? And they decide to enclose that area in and make it living space. Uh, that area now will be, be valued below as below grade and separate from um, the, the regular living area. Even though the house may say on county records, it's, you know, 3,000 square feet. When we get out there, if, you know, a thousand of it is above grade and a thousand is below grade, that's the way it's going to show on the report is a thousand and a thousand, not mm -hmm. 2,000. And what's going to happen is the appraisers have the full authority to decide whether they're going to value that below grade space equal to the above grade space. And where the rub comes in there is if let's say I have a house that has below grade space, but every other two story in the neighborhood is all above grade, like a normal standard two story dwelling you would look at from the street, right? But you look at my house and it's a grade level for one level and then the other one's down below. It looks like a single story, but there's living space below. Is there a difference in the market between that lower space below grade and a standard two-story where everything is above grade? And that's what's going to be the challenge is some appraisers are going to say, it's not as desirable to be below grade. It's not as desirable. It's not going to recall in the market what a normal two-story would call. So it's going to be critical for, and I know a lot of agents don't like to meet the appraisers at the house, but I think in those situations, when you've got a property where part of it is below grade, a good significant part of it is below grade it'd be a good idea to be there to ask the appraiser, are you going to value the lower level equally to the upper level? Because it's going to change your valuation if they don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's one big thing going on right now. Personally, I, I, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't get it. Um, it's a see thing, huh? Or is it one of the conventional or FHA things trying to get it all to fit in that box again? Yeah. I don't think FHA has adopted it yet. VA has not mm -hmm. adopted it, but yes, the conventional box for sure or they just want everything to fit in a box. They want me to do it exactly the same as the next guy. And I promise you, even though we have the ANSI measuring system in place, 
I'm going to go up against another appraiser somewhere where my measurements are going to be different than theirs. So you can try to standardize it as much as you want and make it fit in that box. But honestly, um, it's, it's an exercise in futility. It's an art, not a science. A little of both, yeah. Yeah. A little of both. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, people don't understand what we do, and, and, and I get that, you know, because we're we're all secretive and everything about what we do, right? Yeah, but we're it's just a process that they train you on and put you through that you have to follow. We don't make the rules; we just abide by them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate all of your time and your insight and um, doing this for us. And I'm curious if anyone wanted to talk to you or use your services, how can people reach you? Um, you they can find me on my website. Mm -hmm. which is uh, Premier Appraisal Inc, I-N-C, short for incorporated, dot uh, com, Premier Appraisal I-N-C dot com. It's singular, not plural. It's mm -hmm. not appraisals, it's appraisal. Uh, and they can email me at mike at premierappraisalinc.com. Awesome. And again, thank you so much.